You're listening to the Purpose Driven Person Podcast. This podcast is made for leaders unwilling to give up their desires to be purpose driven. Guys, I made this show for a compass for you to have more purpose in leadership through four concepts creation, communication, collaboration, and connection in both business and in life. My name is Matthew Leland Cox. I'm the founder of Never Give Up Youth Healing Center, Never Give Up Wellness Center, and Never Give Up Foundation. You can find me at MatthewLelandCox.com. Are you ready? Well, let's do this. All right. Good afternoon, Las Vegas. This is your host, Matthew Cox, with the Never Give Up Show. I'm so excited for this show because we have a special guest. And if you're tuning in for this week, again, this is the Never Give Up Show, where we talk about parenting children with special needs and much more. So I'm going to go ahead and not do any business today. I'm just going to bring Dr. Barkley right on because there's a lot of parents listening that do deal with kids with ADHD and some other elements there. And we're going to talk to Dr. Barkley and see what he can do to help us. Dr. Barkley, are you with us? Uh, Yes, I am, Matthew. Thanks for having me on the program this Uh, afternoon. Well, I'm so excited. Thank you for being on the Never Give Up show this afternoon. And and what I always like to do, Dr. Barkley, when I bring guests on the show is have you tell us a little bit more about yourself that you want to share because I... kind of put that together, but what is something our, our listeners need to know about you as we get to know you as we go through this hour? Well, I think it's probably useful to know that I, I don't just specialize in, in studying ADHD mm-hmm. or understanding the informational side of it, but it actually is in my family. I have a number of family members who have experienced the disorder, or some have suffered with it, and uh, also I lost a twin brother about four years ago who had ADHD uh, in a car accident as a result of his ADHD as well. So it affects my personal life, not just my professional life. And I think that's what accounts for a lot of my drive and passion and desire to educate the public about the disorder. And, and so there's, it, that's what my next question I was going to ask you, Dr. Barkley, where does the passion come from in all the research you've done? And I think you answered that is that it sounds like it's on a personal note. Yeah, well, certainly I, I got into the field because of a, the impact of a mentor, as many of us do, uh, at a point in my life when I was an undergraduate looking for something to specialize in. So I, I certainly want to give credit to Dr. Donald Ruth, who was at the University of North Carolina at that time, because he really is the one who encouraged me into this this field. But, of course, the more I learned, the more I realized uh, about other family members, and I was able to give assistance to them and direct them and appropriate ways, and most of the time it was successful, but unfortunately for my brother it was not. Uh, Nevertheless, um, that's where the passion comes from. I I understand the very real personal consequences that this disorder can have if it's not acknowledged and dealt with properly. And and, and it sounds like um, as you've done your research, you've got, you've dove into this area of expertise. Um, What, going into it, did you because it sounds like going into it, did you find more than you were expecting to find out of it as you went into it? Well, I, I certainly did. I mean, I, I went into it, you know, as sort of a naive undergraduate and just trying to, you know, get an, an honors thesis done and graduate and go on to graduate school. But the, the more I read and the more I learned, the more fascinated I became with the disorder because over time I began to realize that ADHD isn't just about being inattentive or hyperactive or impulsive. It's actually a fundamental disorder in how people are able to control their own behavior, what we call self-regulation or, or self-control. And the more we learn about ADHD, the more we learn about ourselves and about how self-control works in ordinary people and 
what we can do to boost that self-control. So it actually isn't just about the disorder. It's about all of us. It, it holds a mirror up to the rest of us uh, as far as just how do we control our behavior and then what's going wrong in ADHD to ruin that. And, and so, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And if you've, I, I don't know if you got a chance to look into what the Never Give Up is about. It's, it's a foundation. And I actually go around and explain and, and share my disability around with uh, parents and families around the country as I speak. And one of mine is ADHD. That's one of my um, diagnoses. Yes, and, I did read about that. Uh, and and it's, it's fun. I turn it into a fun thing because we're very artistic if you embrace it. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but but it's and, and you'll you'll laugh as we go through. You'll catch it. But um, big thing about it, I I love this topic because it's such a taboo. And you've probably seen this in your research because there's there's two ends of it. And I think if you notice, Doctor Barkley, that when it comes to ADHD, we always think that's the child that has the most behavior problems in school. Or you have the other hand on the other hand where there is no such thing as ADHD. They just can't focus. Yes. Um, yeah. And and in your opinion, have you seen that? And what's your what's your feelings on this topic? Because I know for how many years you've done it, this is always the case. Well, it's certainly very frustrating to have spent over thirty years of your life studying a disorder and then have somebody tell you it's a myth. <laughs> and usually, when I hear that, it indicates to me that the person simply isn't well read. That that, that they're pretty uh, illiterate about the science of the disorder. Because after all, we've got more than ten thousand scientific studies have been published on the disorder. Uh, it's clearly a valid disorder, highly genetically and biologically influenced. And we can certainly go into those uh, aspects of the disorder. But w- what it tells me is that someone simply hasn't taken the time and the effort to read up on the disorder or go to the library, and therefore they're giving a, a, a fairly uninformed opinion about it. I, and I can understand why people would think that ADHD might not be particularly impressive or real because a lot of people in this country believe that children are blank slates, that they're uh, determined by the way they're raised and by their environment, and therefore if there's misbehavior or they're not functioning effectively at school or in their social relationships, then it has to be the parent's fault. And, uh, of course, you know, we love mother bashing in this country, and I, for one, have really tried to speak out against that because there are many psychological traits, including ADHD, that have uh, influences that come from biology and genetics and neurology, but also from other influences in our life such as the infections we experience and the traumatic events we may have had as well growing up. And so, you know, you can't just lay the blame for children's problems at the doorstep of their parents. And that's especially true for disorders like ADHD and autism and bipolar disorder and learning disabilities, all of which have striking genetic and biological contributions to them. So, you know, back to the point, when I hear these kinds of opinions, I, I understand that the person just doesn't know what they're talking about and, uh, you know, try to, to forgive them for their ignorance, but, uh, and then try to educate them about the science of ADHD and what really is out there. Now, it, and you, you've hit a few of them, and, and that's the thing is that a lot of people don't understand that it is, does exist, and every time I hear that, too, I, I laugh because I'm sitting here in the studio, I have the lights down, I turn off the fluorescent lights, and I make sure I'm not looking out the window. <laughs> so it helps me focus on what I'm doing, and, and it is it, it does affect our daily life, and so yeah. I have that same frustration when I hear it because I'm like, well, I, I wish you can spend a day in my shoes because it's constantly trying to refocus on a, on a minute basis. And, yeah. and it's, it's a frustrating thing. Now, what are some facts? You went through a little bit of them, but I know if our listeners and our parents, when I work with kids with it, 
what are some facts of ADHD? Well, let's begin with, with how you might recognize it. Uh, obviously, the facts indicate that there are at least three areas of development that are not progressing on, on schedule, uh, that, that are not developing at the rate they should. And what identifies people with ADHD is not that they've got some bizarre psychopathology. It's simply that there's a developmental lag in certain traits that other people are developing more quickly. And, and one of those is, of course, the area of the ability to pay attention and concentrate and resist distractions and sustain your actions toward your goals. And people with ADHD have enormous problems with doing those things. They also have difficulties when they are distracted, getting back on task and reengaging the goal or the task that they were pursuing. And so they wind up, as you've said, flitting from one thing to another because they can't remember what it was they were doing when they were distracted and now they're off and running onto something else. So the area of attention is one that is profoundly affected by the disorder. Second to that, and I think equally as important, is the problem with inhibition, with impulsiveness. And this affects their behavior, that is, their, uh, their motor actions are very quick, very impulsive. They don't think about the, what they're doing before they do it. The second thing is that their thinking is itself very impulsive, and they talk about their ideas tend to drift one, one thing to another very quickly, and they often uh, find that, that thoughts sort of pop into their mind and then they act on them without thinking. They're also very emotionally impulsive. They show their emotions very quickly in a, in a less moderated and a, and a more raw form, and people often look at them as being a little less emotionally mature because they're not moderating their feelings to fit the situation so as not to offend others and interfere with their own goals and their own welfare. So their emotions come up and they're out and they're kind of raw and unmoderated, and that gets them into significant problems. And then, of course, they're verbally impulsive. As you know, they often talk more than others, interrupt <laughs> others, intrude on what's going on, uh, and just, frank frankly, just talk excessively. Uh, and that also tends to cost them social points, so to speak. So those are the, the areas that we see. It's the inattentiveness and the impulsiveness. And then in very young children is the hyperactivity, uh, where there's a lot of excessive restlessness and movement that isn't necessary for the situation. They have to be busy. They're constantly wriggling and squirming in their seats and so on, find it hard to stay seated. But that diminishes markedly with age. And, and by adulthood, the hyperactivity is pretty much gone, and it's not really of much diagnostic value. But it is there in young children, and I don't want to dismiss it because clearly it's one of the diagnostic signs we use in young children that there might be a problem. Yeah, and that and that's uh, one of the things I've noticed. Um, and I, I had a thought while you were sitting there, and that's probably where that whole term of too many irons in the fire it came yes. from an ADD, ADD person. <laughs> might have. <laughs> but one of the things I, I, I always see, too, that you hit on it is what are some of the areas that a parent could be looking for if they do have a child that they might have ADHD? Because you hit on some of the symptomatic issues that are going on. Yes. And, and so if I'm a parent listening, what should they be looking for in, in, in their child if they feel that they might have it? Well, you might suspect that your child could have ADHD if it's in your family, and especially if you as a parent, as an adult, have had ADHD or been diagnosed with it. Uh, so even before you have children, if you have this disorder, you are eight times more likely than other people to have a child with this disorder as well. Now, obviously, once you're pregnant, things that you might look for is, is the pregnancy premature? Did the baby have to go into a neonatal intensive care unit? Those are risk factors for ADHD. If you smoke excessively, 
say, a half a pack or more of cigarettes a day, if you drink alcohol excessively, those contribute to the risk for the disorder. But once the child is born, the things that parents should look for mm-hmm. is, uh, obviously I've mentioned some of them, where the child is excessively active, where the child is irritable and emotional and a little harder to console, the, sort of the colicky, fussy baby that some people talk about. The child's sleeping is very erratic and doesn't seem to develop a regular uh, schedule of sleeping as early as, as other children do. Uh, and then, of course, as they get up to be toddlers or preschoolers, they're not able to sit for as long as other children during story time. They can't focus their attention on play activities as long as, as others. You can't leave them unattended for any length of time because they seem to always be into mischief and exploring various things. And then, of course, there is the impulsiveness where they, they say and do things without any regard for the harm it may cause to them or to other people. So if a parent is seeing this pattern of inattentive and impulsive and active and emotional behavior and risk-taking, then clearly they need to take that seriously. And, of course, if they're hearing from others, relatives, neighbors, preschool teachers, that their child is difficult to manage, then take that seriously as well. This isn't just garden variety, normal child or boy-like behavior. Uh, And, of course, if you see that your child is experiencing suffering because of this, they're being rejected by playgroups and they're not permitted to come into other people's yards or to visit other children, or if they've been kicked out of preschool because of their misbehavior, then please do not dismiss this as, you know, somebody else's problem. Please get your child evaluated for the possibility they may have this disorder because the earlier you get treatment, as you know, Matthew, the the greater the likelihood that you can prevent these other harms from befalling the child and, and lead your child to a more successful path. And, and, you know, and I like how you focus on it. It might be a traumatic experience they had prior to birth. And, yes. and a lot of people don't realize that. Like for my case, for instance, my mom had a, where I went attached to the womb and where I had a very uh, tra- traumatic birth. Yes. And it put a lot of stress on me as an as a infant in her sure womb. Can. And so there's a lot of those things that they they say that can and I like how you're taking that approach. A lot of people don't take that approach. They think it is back to the parents or the environment, and it really has a lot to do with pre-birth and also what's going on there as far as elements. It, it certainly does, Matthew. And beyond that, I don't just want to focus on the on the the brain injury or the or the uh, brain development uh, problems. But as you know, the vast majority, uh, more than two thirds of ADHD cases, are genetic. It's a pattern of behavioral traits and personality uh, symptoms that run in the family. There's a high probability, like in my family, that other relatives have experienced these problems. And ADHD, people need to understand, is the most genetically influenced psychiatric disorder currently recognized, much more than anxiety and depression, much more than learning disabilities. Uh, ADHD is a highly genetic disorder. It's only equaled by two other disorders, and that would be um, autism in children and manic depression, or what is called bipolar disorder, are nearly as genetic as, as this one. So, you know, we all understand that genetics contributes to things like human height and human ability mm-hmm. and our hair color and our eye color. Well, ADHD is as genetically influenced as is variation in human height. And people find that rather stunning, but it has been now replicated in more than 40 different research studies that this is a highly genetically influenced condition. Uh, And so, you know, it may be something that you came by honestly, so to speak. You know, it's something that's in your family, and 
it was unavoidable, and it's not something that you did, and it's not a moral failing, and it's not the fact that you're lazy or stupid or unmotivated. Uh, you know, this is a set of traits that you have come by genetically, and you know, obviously you're going to have to own that diagnosis and deal with it, but that's where it may have come from in more than two-thirds of the cases we know. And that is true. And what we're going to do, Dr. Barkley, is we're going to take a break. And when we come back to the break, I want to dive some more into this because I think this Great. is a topic that a lot of us don't understand and, and we get mixed up because there's so I many theories out there. So we'll be right back. This is the Never Give Up Show, and you're listening to Matthew Cox, your host, and Dr. Barkley. All right. Well, welcome back to the Never Give Up Show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host, and we're listening to Russell Barkley. Dr. Barkley has been studying a topic that I think a lot of us that have dealt with this topic, ADHD or ADD. And we've been talking about what it is and the facts and the symptoms there there are when it comes to that. Dr. Barkley, are you with us? Yes. Well, again, Dr. Barkley, as our listeners, if they're just tuning in, we're, we're, I was just giving them a recap on it. Now, one of the things I want to ask is for, as a lot, a lot of us have these symptoms when it comes to ADHD, um, but there's this myth of ADHD versus ADH or DADD taking the H out. Can you give us kind of a definition of between the two? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, it's confusing because ADD, the attention deficit disorder, was the name for this disorder back in the 1980s. Uh -huh. And I really wish people wouldn't use it, but clinicians keep using it to refer to people who only are inattentive and may not have the other two sets of symptoms we talked about, the hyperactivity or the impulsiveness. Uh, and I can understand that, but professionally, the name for that group instead of ADD is known as the inattentive type of ADHD. There's an inattentive type, and there's this combined type that has all of the symptom clusters that we talked about. So, um, but what people need to know, whether it's called ADD or whether it's the inattentive type, they need to understand that a good portion of the people being called that probably have a separate disorder of attention that is not really ADHD at all, but it gets called ADHD or ADD because there's really no other diagnosis, no other label in our professional diagnostic manual for people with attention problems other than the ADHD or ADD. And let me describe this briefly because we've just finished a huge national study that we did last year uh, on um, this pattern of inattentiveness. And by the way, researchers call it sluggish cognitive tempo or sluggish oh, cognitive really? processing. But these uh, people who have this kind of SCT to abbreviate it, they're often very daydreamy, they're spacey, they're easily confused, they're mentally foggy, they're kind of slow moving, they have trouble processing information as quickly as other people, they're often not paying attention, but it's not because they're distracted, it's because they're sort of in, inwardly preoccupied and they're kind of mind-wandering and engaging in a lot of daydreaming. They also tend to be um, a little lethargic, they're very slow moving, often say that they're hypoactive and lacking in energy rather than hyperactive. And, and if that sounds you know, like you, then you have this inattentive form of the disorder, mm -hmm. or as I've said, you probably have this separate disorder of attention. We know that this group of people is more likely to have anxiety, they may be more prone to depression, there's a chance that they have more difficulties in school with math or other aspects of, uh, of learning. Uh, and certainly we find that in their social patterns, instead of being you know, talkative and aggressive and risk-taking and heedless in, in their social behavior, they're actually a little reticent and apprehensive and kind of shy and quiet. 
uh, a little withdrawn. And so our research shows that this group that people are calling ADD, especially if they have this daydreaming kind of space equality, this actually is a separate disorder. It isn't oh, wow. ADHD. Uh, and uh, it can be as impairing as ADHD in its own way, um, but it also has a different pattern of risks and probably requires a different set of treatments. So this is all very, very new, cutting-edge discoveries in the last year that we may have found a second problem or disorder of attention in addition to the ADHD one that we've known about for so many years. Wow, and that's interesting. I've never heard that, and that's something that I know our listeners haven't heard of because I know we get confused because everybody says, I have ADD or I have ADHD, and we always think the H is that hyper. They have to bounce off the wall to have that H in it. But well, I, they certainly don't. And as I said, by, mm-hmm. by adolescence and adulthood, the H is gone anyway. Yeah. Even in the people who have legitimate ADHD, this combined type, uh, the hyperactivity is really declining. But what dif- differentiates them by adolescence is that the traditional ADHD individual still has trouble with self-control. They still have trouble with inhibition, with concentration, with distractibility. They can't sustain their actions toward their goals or their tasks. They're disorganized. They have terrible time management, very emotionally impulsive as well, as I've said, uh, and often have difficulties you know, with motivating themselves to get work done when there's nothing fun or interesting about the work they have to do. And that's not true of this ADD or sluggish cognitive group that I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. They don't show that pattern. Uh, as, I, as I said previously, they tend to be more daydreamy, sluggish, slow-moving, They don't get an awful lot of their work done, but it's usually because they're daydreaming and mind-wandering. They're not disruptive. They're not aggressive. Uh, Many people don't even notice them in the classroom, and so they tend to be referred much, much later for help than ADHD children because they're just not so obvious. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of the teachers and, and professionals, and I like what you say in your biography that you're trying to educate professionals to understand the two differences. of Because I know when I go in and work with kids in, in school settings, a lot of the teachers in the classrooms don't understand the difference. Yes, and yes, they, they just kind of lump it into one. That's very true. And, and, and you yeah. know, if I had my way, Matthew, I would even rename ADHD. Oh, great. What would you rename it? Well, the, you know, the, the attention deficit part of it is, uh, you know, it, it's the Rodney Dangerfield of psychological <laughs> disorders. It gets no respect. And that's no. because, you know, people hear the name of the disorder and they go, oh, my God, if that's your only problem, go to Starbucks or, you know, get some caffeine or get some sleep, you know, wake up. And, you know, it kind of trivializes the disorder, whereas ADHD at, at its core is really a disorder of self-control and the brain's executive abilities. Now, the executive abilities in the human brain are the highest attainment of human development. These are the parts of the brain that are responsible for helping us control ourselves, see the future, plan for the future, uh, make decisions and evaluate what's good for us and what's not good for us, get along with other people, cooperate with them and reciprocate with them, uh, and basically pursue our long-term welfare uh, and that's what people with ADHD are being robbed of. It's not just an inability to pay attention. It's an inability to regulate yourself over time and be able to deal with the future as it's coming at you. I, I often, as you know from my books, refer to ADHD as time blindness. I people like with that. ADHD are nearsighted to the future. They can only deal with what's in the now and what's happening around them. And as the future is coming toward them, they're kind of oblivious to it until it gets there. And, of course, that results in a life of crisis to crisis to crisis because 
everybody else was getting ready for what they knew was coming, and this person is just flitting around and paying attention to whatever is happening in the now, and the future arrives, and they're completely unprepared for it. Now, now you just explained a theory, and I think it's so important to kind of dive in a little deeper, is that your theories you mentioned in your book is that executive functioning, but also that uh, self-regulation. And I think that's where um, it is where it all occurs, because those are the two components I can honestly, when I was going through your book, yes. I would agree that's where I have a hard time, is that self-regulation, where I'll be really good on one side and then I'll let something else slip over on the other side. Yeah, especially um, if it's not interesting no. <laughs> or, or boring, then boy, it really is hard to pay attention. Yeah, paperwork, don't ask me to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, this helps parents to understand why their child can play video games for hours, um, exactly. but can only spend a few minutes on homework. That's not a sign of willful disobedience. It's not a sign that there's no disorder. It actually is a sign that there really is a disorder there, mm -hmm. because what it tells us is that you know one of the six executive abilities is the ability to motivate yourself when there aren't immediate consequences and when the situation isn't interesting. And that's when you have to reach down inside yourself and motivate yourself. A lot of us do it by imagining our goals, by thinking about the rewards we're eventually going to earn, uh, by the good grades or the, you know, the, the social feedback that we're going to get that's very positive. But whatever it takes, we imagine it, we see it, we talk about it. And by doing those things, uh, we are able to get to our goals and to accomplish these boring and tedious but important things that life requires of us. And people with ADHD, they don't have that fuel tank. And, and if they have it, it's kind of half empty, and they expend it very quickly. So you need to think about this as kind of the fuel that gets us to the future. And people with ADHD don't have a very sizable you know, fuel tank for self-motivation. And they, they use it very quickly, and then they're off task and the work just doesn't get done. So if you have a child who can do things that they enjoy, or video games, or watch television, but they can't seem to get to the boring and the tedious things, even though they're important later on, like schoolwork, that's a sign that there's a disorder. That's not a sign of just willful disobedience. Yeah, and I think that's where they get it confused. And I've, I've had that discussion with a lot of parents where they get so caught up on it's all about the video game instead yeah. of looking into more deep understanding what's going on there. And, and for me, I agree, because I can sit, you know, in my bachelor's, I did film because it was visually appearing to me, appealing to me that yeah. um, when it, instead of writing papers, I can go into a classroom and I can use a camera and I can make it appear on a, on a film. Sure. Um, sure. So there's, but, a, yeah. there's a lot of immediate feedback for you. In exactly. Doing that. And a lot of, of both manual, uh, you know, manipulating things and doing things in the moment and all of the things that people with ADHD find are, are beneficial for them. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and I know that um, uh, there's a lot of mechanics for ADHD because it's, a, it's a, like you said, it's immediate gratification. They can get in there and fix a car and be done with it very quick, and they can move quickly doing it. Sure, and, and a, I, a lot of people mm -hmm. who are in the entertainment business Huge. or rock music. My brother was a rock musician, by the way. People who are in the performing arts or the visual arts. Uh, even people who are in you know door-to-door -door sales, like drug reps. Uh, these are areas that people with ADHD tend to do better in because they do allow that kind of movement, and they're, it's interesting, and there's a lot of change and uh, a lot of hands-on activity that goes on in the situation, and they tend to do better at things like that. I'm excited. This is such a great um, topic, Dr. Barkley, and I'm going to take another break because I want them to hear about your other book, Adults okay. with ADHD. And, and when we come back, we'll probably dive in a little of that 
And then if you want to call, write this number down, 731-1230. If you have any questions for Dr. Barkley while he's on our, our show, he'd be feel free to want to answer that and see what we can do to help you. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And you're listening to the Never Give Up Show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host. Welcome back. You're listening to the Never Give Up Show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host. We have Dr. Russell Barkley in, the, in our show today. He's a known author and also psychiatrist that deals in the area of ADHD and much more. And we're talking about that topic right now, ADHD and a, or ADHD, because I'm not going to say ADD, Dr. Barkley, right? We're going to just talk about ADD or ADHD yeah. today, well, right? <laughs> I think uh, people often use the two terms interchangeably, but as we said in the last segment of the program, sometimes the ADD is really just for a pure attention problem. And as I said, I think that may be a different disorder from the kind of problems we see in ADHD. You know, and that was such a good definition of it. I've never heard that because um, I've always got confused going through the psychology classes that everybody just says, oh, you have adult ADD. And I'm like, well, what is that? That doesn't make yeah. sense when they just label it adult ADD. Or, oh, he has ADHD because he's bouncing off the wall and he can't sit still. Yeah. And and I know that's the first thing when I was just talking to um, somebody today about how it's important to first get that under control to get to other elements or emotional disorders. Um, if we can get them to sit down and control that, then you can see what else is going on there. Would you yeah. agree with that? Or Yeah, I, I, I certainly would. And I, and I think, you know, underneath these, these more obvious and disruptive symptoms, people need to understand that there really are six areas of self-control of these executive abilities that the front part of our brain gives to us that are going haywire in people with ADHD. And I'll just briefly list them so that, because they're yeah, easily understood. Okay. Uh, the first of these is the ability to be aware of yourself and what you're doing over time. Self-awareness is more limited by the disorder. And so often people with ADHD don't know that they're engaging in inappropriate behavior or that they're, they've run out of time or that they're off task or that perhaps they've done something that's offended someone else. They, they don't do this intentionally. They're certainly not setting out to disrupt, you know, family life and, you know, ruin a parent's day. Um, and yet, by the end of the day, that may be what has in fact happened. So people need to understand that there's a more uh, limited, there's a deficit in, in self-awareness. The second uh, is in the ability to manage yourself compared to time. What many people call time management is a serious second executive deficit in the disorder. Time escapes people with ADHD. They can't deal with it. They don't feel it the way other people do. They think they have more time than they do. It's kind of like the seven-year-old the week before Christmas. It feels like an eternity. Uh, and yet, you know, we know that time moves very quickly. And this explains why they're often caught off guard. They're not ready with their assignments, and they're late for things, and they fail to show up at school or work or at the bus stop on time. So time management is the second problem. The third is that they're unable to organize themselves the way other people do. You know how people organize their desk and their locker and their office if yeah. they happen to be adults with ADHD, and they put things back where they're supposed to be so they know where they are again? Uh, and people with ADHD just don't do that. I mean, their lockers are a mess. Their desk is uh, also, you know, something you don't want to go near. Uh, and their offices often are very poorly organized. And as a result, there's a lot of distractions. And so this ability to organize ourselves and our mind and our thoughts and our lives, that's a major problem for them. The, the other area besides those three is that they're not able to motivate themselves. And we spoke about that briefly, so I yes. won't go over that again. 
but they can't reach down to that fuel tank, that well of self-motivation that others have when they have to get things done that aren't fun or when there's not something immediate or interesting to do, uh, then they really struggle with sticking with things that have to be done. Uh, and often they don't get them done. They can only work for brief periods of time in situations like that. I've already mentioned, of course, the problem with emotional self-control, the ability to inhibit your strong emotions and moderate them and calm yourself down and soothe yourself and then, of course, substitute a more moderate and more socially acceptable emotion for the one you're feeling, that's another area that they have great difficulty, uh, I think, dealing with. And, and then, of course, there is the problem with planning and problem solving. Yes, that yes, is yes. anticipating what lies ahead and setting in motion a set of steps that's going to get you where you want to go, and, and that is your goals. And uh, they have goals. They have as many goals as other people, and they have commendable goals. But unlike other people, they can't get to them. They're lucky if they get, you know, even half of the goals that they had set for themselves done. And so they often feel demoralized and have low self-esteem just because they just can't seem to accomplish what other people are able to do. And if they do, it takes them ten times more effort than other people to get it done. You know, and that's the the thing they always fight is that whole normalcy, and that's one thing I always fought is that I it does it does take us longer to write that paper for school or do something, but it doesn't mean it's going to be any less quality. It just takes a lot longer to put the thoughts together and get it on paper. That's right. And um, sometimes it's even, I find that it's, when I read some of the kids I work with, it's even more creative when you let them do their process. Um, yes, or give them an alternative mm -hmm. way of getting that done. Maybe break the work down into smaller chunks with frequent breaks and a little you know, exercise or activity in there. Maybe giving them an alternative means of just expressing themselves instead of writing. Maybe they can dictate it or film it or uh, you know, explain it to you in a one-on-one -on -one situation. But you know, relying on writing, which often is a serious problem for people with ADHD, it really, I, I think, leads people to believe that they don't know the information when, in fact, they simply can't write it down as quickly as other people and organize it as well as they do. So I'm glad you mentioned that as well. well it's, it's not a limitation of knowledge or intelligence, is it? No, and I was laughing because I was uh, meeting with one of my friends that we were looking at um, how to start a certain kind of company, and I was brainstorming the, the value base, the values we want in the company, and I was doing my writing. And if you look at the paper, it looks very chaotic because my way of note-taking is all over the place. Yes. And so, but to me, it makes sense. Yeah, and so if only any, to you. <laughs> yeah, only to me. So then what I've learned, and I've used this, and I don't know if you advocate with your, your clients with this, Dr. Berkeley, is I use uh, dictation software like uh, DragonNet Natural Speaking. Oh, and, yes. And I, it's like my favorite thing. When I first got that, Dr. Berkeley, I don't know if any of your patients ever or clients have ever explained it. It was like I was a new person and I had the ability. I actually broke down and cried because it gave yeah. me a new realization that I could do something that I always have struggled. Suggestion. I have this software as well, and mm -hmm. I, I use it. And, you know, as an alternative, there's also a thing called the Smart Pen, oh, which what's... can uh, record lectures while you're taking notes so that you don't have to take as many notes. And then it links the audio recording of the lecture. It uses a little, you know, hard drive at the end of the, of the pen. Uh, and you can, you know, you can check that out on the Internet. There's wow. a variety of these kinds of compensatory devices uh, to provide alternative ways of recording information and, as you say, expressing information. Yeah, and it's amazing to be alive in our era that they're there for us, and it's just going to yeah. get even better and better. I, 
I hope so. Yeah, and, and one of the things I want to ask is when it comes to these behaviors we're talking about, because I think the fear is, is if it goes untreated, what do you see the risk is for this child as they go into adulthood with ADHD? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. I, I think parents need to know that about 7% of children have ADHD. That's about one child out of every 16 to 20 children. And wow. uh, so that means about one child in every classroom in the U.S. has ADHD, sometimes more than that. And it's about 4 to 5% of adults. And, uh, and obviously what those figures show you is that about two-thirds of ADHD children continue with their ADHD to some degree into adulthood. And, and that's how you wind up with, you know, adult ADHD is about two-thirds the prevalence of child ADHD. Now, if it's not treated, the consequences can be widespread and, and quite serious, including, I, I hate to point it out, and although it's relatively rare, you know, including loss of life, like, uh, you know, like my brother, yeah, for instance. You mentioned that. So, you know, you need to pay attention to this. This is not a trivial disorder. This can be, in some cases, life-threatening. ADHD children have more accidental injuries of all sorts relative to other children, three to seven times more likelihood of having an accidental injury or accidental poisoning or burns or lacerations or broken bones. They're in the emergency room more than other children. Uh, so that's a problem. The second problem is, of course, within the family. There's a lot more family stress a lot more difficulties getting along with brothers and sisters and parents. So family functioning can be quite chaotic and, and disrupted by ADHD. And then, of course, as you've already mentioned, social relationships become a problem. Uh, up to 50%, and in some studies as many as 70% of ADHD children have absolutely no close friends by the time they reach second or third grade. And, and, and that alone is just heartbreaking when you see that happen because we know that it's, it's our friends that sustain us through our lives. And to not be able to build those friendships or build them as frequently as other people and sustain them, that itself is a tragedy in, in itself. School performance, of course, is an area in which ADHD has its most serious consequences. Over 90% of ADHD children do poorly at school. 50% of them are held back or grade in school. Uh, and nearly as many wind up getting special educational help because of their difficulties. So school is a major area of impairment for them. Now, as they enter adolescence, of course, and other domains become available to them, other adult-like domains such as driving and dating and sexual activity and you know, becoming uh, exposed more to legal substances like alcohol and tobacco, all of these become difficulties for them because of their self-control problems. So their driving tends to be horrendous, as you've read about in my books. They have three times more accidents, four to five times more speeding tickets than other people. <laughs> They're three times more likely to lose their license, yep. you know, within <laughs> the first six or eight years of driving. That's an area of difficulty. Uh, many times they have trouble just controlling their ability to use alcohol and tobacco, uh, and so they they come to rely on that more in their lives than other people. So they do. Do you find that uh, this population of individuals that they do seek out stimulants to help them control it or yes, do self medication? Yes. Well, we do know, as you mentioned, that that nicotine does mm -hmm. help manage ADHD, but of course it's a highly addictive substance. Uh, the way it's used, and and therefore you're using an addictive drug to manage your symptoms, uh, and that's not a good thing. You know, the, the prescription stimulants, which are not addictive, is a much better alternative than trying to use tobacco or other stimulants to, to manage yourself. And, you know, we didn't even get into the fact that once these people get into the their work life, their occupational functioning can be 
adversely affected by ADHD, not to mention their health and their lifestyle. So all of these are areas that ADHD can affect adversely if it's not treated early and if those treatments aren't sustained uh, over a long period of time. Now, there's so many treatments out there, Dr. Barkley, that it it gets frustrating because I know I've talked to several parents as I worked in the foster industry for, for so long. They, you know, there's the medication way. And yeah. then there's um, also biofeedback. Mm-hmm. Um, a new uh, a new era that's coming out is drinking caffeine. Some doctors yeah. are describing, and I'll be honest, I'll out myself. That's my favorite way of dealing with it because I don't do the medication. I yeah. But then there is a side effect of large amounts of caffeine. Yes, and there so, is. And, and you're hitting the wrong uh, transmitter in the brain. So, you, so you're sort of coming at it indirectly through caffeine. Uh-huh. Uh, and as a result, you wind up, of course, if you have too much of it, you get the jitteriness, there's the frequent urination, the acid indigestion, uh, and uh, obviously there are problems with sleeping that come with caffeine, too. So, so um, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, the prescription stimulants actually do hit the, the right transmitters in the brain, whereas caffeine gets there, but it gets there through a very different route. Uh, and I know that it does help some people, but, uh, you know, I caution people to be very careful with that because caffeine has its own problems. Exactly. Uh, and that's, and I've, I've seen that now in, yes. in your, your thing. But what I want to do, because I got one more break I want to take, sure. and then we're going to come back. And I want our listeners to hold off because I know this is the biggest thing they want to answer is what are the treatments or more scientific basis yeah, that you would suggest? You okay. okay. So we'll be right back. I'm Matthew Cox, your host, and you're listening to the Never Give Up Foundation. All right, welcome back to the Never Give Up show. I'm Matthew Cox, your host, and we're listening to Dr. Russell Barkley. He is a known author. He's authored over 20 books on the subject of ADHD and much more. And we're talking about the topic of ADHD and what it can affect. Now, when we went out to break, I asked the question, what types of treatments are available out there for ADHD? Because there's so many opinions. Dr. Barkley, would you agree there's so many opinions out there? that everybody wants to give them because they're free and they're on the corner, right? Oh, if you <laughs> enter ADHD into Google in your computer, you're going to get more oh. than four to five million uh, hits. And, you know, most of it is, is junk knowledge and nonsense and things like magnetic mattresses and copper bracelets and ginkgo oh, biloba and, you know, uh, some of these, uh, you know, alternative herbal or, or health food remedies. And parents need to understand there's absolutely no science behind those kinds of uh, interventions for ADHD. And the same is true with, you know, chiropractors who will, you know, charge you to massage your child's head uh, in, in the belief that somehow this reorganizes the, the neurologic networks in the brain. And, and this is just uh, absurd. So don't waste your money on things like that. There are five things, Matthew, that I think Good. parents need to focus on in creating a treatment package for somebody with ADHD. And I'll just go through them very quickly because I know there are some other questions that we want to, that we want to take. But the first thing is make sure that your child has been properly evaluated. Uh, the evaluation and diagnosis is step one in learning what this is, finding out if there are any other disorders present, because 80% of people with ADHD have a second disorder that goes with it, like a learning disability or an anxiety disorder or a mild depression. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're seeing the total picture here and that we're addressing all of the difficulties and, and not just f- narrowly focusing on the ADHD. Sometimes there are other more serious problems like manic depression that need to be dealt with as well. The second thing is after the diagnosis is education. And I don't mean schooling. I mean learning about the disorder. Parents have to become 
lay experts on ADHD, and that can come from, uh, you know, visiting your website or my website or reading books or other materials or going to the, the chad.org, chadd.org, which is our national foundation for ADHD, uh, and getting fact sheets and knowledge. But read widely. Truth is an assembled thing, and people need to become as expert as they can because the more you read, the more you're going to see consistency across the information, uh, and that's going to help you understand what is wrong with your child and what you need to do about it. So get educated. The third thing parents need to do is to begin to make changes in the way they deal with their child's behavior. And so we refer to this as modifications. Alter the way you do business at home. Alter the way the classroom teacher approaches your child and their schoolwork. And these typical what's called behavior modification methods uh, are very useful. We're talking about you know, using things like increased attention and praise and you know, token systems and rewards and privileges, but focusing on the positive and putting more rewards and consequences in there as a means of modifying behavior to help your child be more successful. And of course, it also means using very targeted, very selected, very mild forms of discipline, uh, but using them quickly and swiftly when there is misbehavior and, and not going on and nattering and nagging and reminding. Uh, but that kind of use of rewards and consequences very quickly and strategically uh, is what I mean by the next step, which is the modification stage. Modify the way the family does business at home. The next step we call accommodations. Accommodations is where we physically change the structural environment around the child to help them succeed better. And I, I liken it to you know, putting a ramp in front of a building in order to get into that office building or that hotel if you happen to be in a wheelchair. You didn't change the person. You altered the environment so that the person was able to be more effective. Now, in the case of ADHD, it might be things in school like having the child sit in the front row so that the teacher can interact with them and supervise them more often. It might be things like breaking the work down into smaller units. Instead of doing 30 math problems at a time, do five. Take a one-minute break. Do five more. Take a one-minute break. There's a great rule for working with ADHD children, and that is 10 minutes of work with three minutes of break, 10 minutes of work, three. The 10 and three rule works very well because they can concentrate for small periods of time, but they need frequent breaks to refuel that fuel tank to be able to come at it and, and do more work. So that kind of structural alteration of the environment, obviously the same would apply at home altering the homework situation, like at the kitchen table or in the child's bedroom, so that it's more conducive to getting the work done. So the fourth component of a good treatment package is this kind of accommodation. And then finally, between 60 and 70% or more of ADHD children need medication to assist with these other pieces of the treatment program. Because whether we like it or not, the medications for ADHD are the most effective treatments that we have. And while they don't help everybody, they do help three-quarters to 80% of ADHD children and adults benefit remarkably from the ADHD medications that are in the marketplace today. And while they do have side effects, the side effects certainly are annoying, but they're not life-threatening. Uh, and for many children, and especially for adults, the medications can do more for them than anything else. So let me review that again. It's diagnosis. It's education. It's modification, that is altering the way you deal with your child. It's accommodation, structurally changing the setting, 
to fit the child's disability, and then medication. You put those five things together, you're doing a darn good job at trying to address your child's ADHD. Well, Dr. Uh, Barkley, those are the items I feel that all the parents I was talking to up to the show, you've answered them in a whole. And unfortunately, we've ran out of time. I hope that you'll come back on the show down the road here. It would be my pleasure. We would love to have you. And if you have any questions about his books, how can they reach you and what is your website? Well, my website is russellbarkley.org and my publisher is guilford.com. And you can reach us through either site. Great. Well, Dr. Barkley, thank you so much for being on the show, and I hope that our listeners got what I got from it. Um, I really have the information that I can understand, and I'm going through your book, so when we come back, I'm going to be more immersed into your studies, and I'm going to be excited with it. And if you have any questions for Dr. Barkley, please email us at NeverGiveUpFoundation, and I'll forward that on. And again, Dr. Barkley, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Person podcast. Something I said today resonated with you. Head over to my website. I would love to give you a free gift to download, but you can also email me at purposedrivenperson at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And remember guys, always continue to push your dreams and never give up. I'll see you next time. Take care.